0: Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. All right, now listen, a bunch of stuff's been happening. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about tonight. Cece's got, she's going to team teach with me tonight, preach, whatever. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about it on Sundays, my plan, okay? That makes me feel good, so it means I already know what I'm going to say on Sunday. So I can chill for the rest of the week. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So, um, I I think a Sunday, a week ago, Sunday, not this last Sunday, I talked about giants in the land. And I'm going to try to marry in the next two messages just the gifts of prophecy with our understanding of how we operate in the promised land. One of the things you have to remember is that God's promise over your life is to walk in the land of plenty. Right? Jesus said what? John 10 10. I came. So, Jesus's town is telling us why he arrived on the planet. I came that you might have what? Life. Abundant life. life and abundant life. Right? There's a script more that you can ever ask or think or wonder or whatever. And so, something gets in the way of us experiencing that abundance. And we go into striving. Striving isn't abundance, right? Anybody done both yet? Beautiful. So we want to remember that a lot of times we think that we're in abundance, or we think we're in the promised land, when we're really actually in Egypt or in lack, right? And part of what our discussions about these gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, Pam and Lenny talked more about them. You know, they both lean heavy like this on the side of, of helping us know that all those gifts have to operate with love and you know they don't want to, they don't want, you know, to misappropriate the gifts. But I, I want us to practice with our gifts. So that means you're going to mess up. Right? But see, the goal of the gifts is to what? Equip what? The saints. And so if I don't ever practice with them, if I'm not ever under a covering, I love it when people do stuff and I get to tell them that it's wrong. Right? Me and Tessa... See, this is how the prophetic works. The prophetic has to be under a covering. Yeah. Come on, tell your, tell your face to smile. I know you're, you're real serious right now. The prophetic has to work under a covering. Why? Because it has to be judged. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that's so good. And you can't judge it. Yeah. Say, I, I, I can't judge myself. Because you, you don't even know you have stinky breath. Right? I had some of that everything bagel today, so I just know what I've got. I need Klondra to walk by with a mint and just kind of sneak it over to me. Right? We can't even smell our own breath. Isn't that weird? And so our opinions of what we think is true are elevated. Every human has this. Think about a little kid. They know what they want, don't they? Come on. Have you ever had a kid that's the CEO of the whole family? The entire environment. Pam used to teach school. They'd try. To, these kids would try to come in and be the CEO in the whole classroom. They don't know nothing. They're <laughs> twelve years old. Going to be the whole. Going to run the whole classroom, right? Why? Why? We just think we know. What we know, when we know it, is what we think is really the most important, and we don't know nothing. The more, the older I get, the more I know nothing. There's a lot of stuff happening on the planet right now. I had no idea was going to happen this way. Anybody else having that feeling? Right? So that tells us all of our plans are just our plans. I don't want to work for God. I want to work with Him. And so I have to do things His way. The abundant life that Jesus spoke about Comes through what? The door of Jesus. Everything's on the other side of that door. So we were talking about the giants. And remember what I told you that there are giants in your promised land? All the ites, remember? What are the giants of today? Do you know any Gibeonites? (laughs) What are the giants of today? Think about it. What are the giants of today? I I have a little slide for you. Let's see. Number nine. Let's do number nine. These are the giants of today. Anxiety, worry, stress, self-pity. We rise and fall on how well we manage that. Those are all to be taken down in your life. The longer you live with them in operation the more strongholds they build, the more fortresses, the more established systems and ways of thinking they establish. And those are the doorways the enemy walks through. Let me give you some examples. So I was, I I think it was last night, I was laying in bed and I don't dream um, bad stuff hardly ever. But I think I woke up and there was this light that, you know, Does anybody like to sleep with it dark? Like I could totally sleep with the lights on. It's just a weird thing. I don't need it to be dark, but it was dark. And so then what happens when it's dark? Those little electronic things, you know, like the surge protectors got that blue light that feels like it is shining in the entire room. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you have any? And then there's a green one, you know, I hate the blue ones. They're just an irritant, right? Green's okay for me. And then there's a red one. You're like, wow, what is this? So that's happening. (laughs) You know, you wake up, and it projected this image onto the ceiling. And I have a really tall ceiling in my room, and so I turned, I guess, I turned around to look, and it looked like this giant on the ceiling. And in my heart, I said, I'm not ready to get up. That's what I said. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning, you know. I'm like, oh, just one more hour. I wasn't ready to get up. And so I turned away, but the whole time I was thinking, don't look at it, don't look at it. And I felt like it was just a prophetic moment that that's kind of what we do with the Giants. They're projecting in our lives, everybody else can see it. I mean, they're like, eh, uh, 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 uh. and we're like, don't look at it, don't look at it. I used to have a Boston Terrier, her name was Sadie. When I'd say her name, Sadie, she would do like that. Sadie, Sadie, she just kept turning her, like, right? Thinking I couldn't see her. That, we've got tonight to embrace that God said that they're there. Now, what did Joshua say about the giants? They're bred to us. Cece's going to tell you about another giant story here in a minute in the Bible. Their bread does. It's really important that I classify the things in my life in the appropriate category. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So the things that I once feared become bread to me. Yeah. Yeah. They become part of my story that I train other people not to do. I was I was raised in the religious spirit. I can spot that thing a mile away. And there's nothing good comes from the religious spirit. I was talking to somebody about it today. The religious spirit would make you work for something that's free and and then you would act like you did it. And you'd be like, I remember when I... You didn't do nothing. You don't even have air. You can't breathe. You can't speak. You can't walk around without God. Everything that you can do, all of you having your being and moving around is God. Right? So it would make sense that I would want this thing to do something with him, yeah. the man that made it, the yeah. God that made it, not a man. Yeah. You know, we just call him the man. You know, he's the man, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, Are you with me? Yeah. Moo's with me. I know she is. And so what Joshua said was that they're bred to us. But then he had to take that knowledge and he had to lead a group of people into a place where there were known giants because why? God said, I am. Those two words is what I have to learn when I face a giant. Who's the I am? Right? And, and one of the things that he told them was not to make any treaties or agreements or covenants with the giants. Right? Right? Why? Why can you not make a covenant with anxiety? But see, when I make decisions that make sure I don't look at my anxiety, I just made a treaty with it. I made an agreement that you can stay in my life and I'll make decisions with you. Come on, you got to get this down to where you can just see it for yourself. I love in... Brian Simmons. Let's just thank God for Brian Simmons for a minute, man. Without what God has revealed to him, you would not be passionate for God like you are today. God has released a revelation through him. And I love it because there's so many things that come against the revelations of God. That's one of the ways that you can tell. So in his book, The Joshua Generation... There's a chapter called "Don't Be Deceived." Now, here's what happened in the story of Joshua. Do you remember the walls of Jericho? Does anybody know that story? So, what happened with the walls of Jericho? They just marched around them because God said to march around them, right? And on the seventh day, they just hooped and hollered like in the wall. They were hooping and hollering. Those walls fell down, right? So they 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 did some other battles and they had success and they did exactly what God told them. Remember. God gives us instructions, and it's up to us to write it down and remember it. Wow. So Have you ever known God told you something, and you just went ahead and did it? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Like, Cece's birthday is Sunday. Her 50th birthday is Sunday. Yay! She wanted me to tell you all that. <laughs> she wanted me to be sure and announce that tonight. And, and so I was thinking about a movie that we could go see, because, you know, we don't see, we see movies twice a year, right? And so we had a, we had a bomb recently at the movie theater. I can't talk about it, but it was a big bomb. You see? And so I wanted to, I want I want rede- redemption, right? So we were talking about seeing a movie and we, we always asked the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit just said something about the movie. And so I looked it up and it was sure enough, it was a crappy movie, of course. And so I was like, well, we could go see that movie, but it'd be really crappy. And then she said, well, does it have a clause in there where you don't have to have any cleansing after the movie? And I was like, no, that doesn't have that. So do you see that, that momentum? Like, I just want to do something fun. Yeah. Are you with me? But see, it ends up not being fun because it ends up making a treaty with a giant that we've already overcome. Right? Now, the great thing about getting slimed, has anybody ever been slimed? You can get cleansing for it, but but your momentum is so much better when you don't continually go to the slime pit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so that's what he said to not be deceived. So remember he said, don't make a treaty. And so they ran onto the Gibbs, right? So here's what it says. When the inhabitants of Gibeon learned how Joshua had destroyed Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They sent a delegation disguised as members from a distant land. They loaded their donkeys with worn-out sacks, old patched wineskins. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and old tattered clothes and took along dry, moldy bread. When they arrived at Israel's camp at Gilgal, they said to Joshua and the Israelites, We've come from a far country. To propose that you make a treaty with us. Now, what did God already say? What did God already say? So, it says, the Joshua generation that God is raising up is a determined people who will not fall short of their inheritance, but who will know how to rest in His promises and push ba- push past, excuse me, every deceptive or demonic obstacle to possess the promises. Part of an overcoming mentality is having a passionate determination to make no treaty with the enemy. So see, I propose that if you hear this message and you go home and you say, Holy Spirit, where have I made a treaty with the enemy? You'll be surprised. Now, all the religious people will make a bunch of rules, but the, the brides will turn all that to worship. It's not, we're not to make a treaty with the enemy. Why? Because he's deceptive. And so, why, why does God test us after a victory? Did you think the test was before the victory? I'm not sure where y'all are on that. Do you like tests? First off, let's, Oh, come on. Do you like... Do you want to mature? And you want to be tested? Okay. Tests from God or what? Are his love for you. Right? Oh, we are weak and and I can feel it. Eh. Listen, my greatest growth is in a test. If you're freaked out about it, then you've got a giant. Uh, (laughs) I feel like no one in here is excited about the test. (laughs) It's okay. I'm still going to tell you about it. So, in this story, there was five deceptions. I'm just going to mention them really briefly to you tonight. I think I made some slides. I did. The first one... Let's see. The first one is number 10. The first one is worn out sex. Now, listen to what he says. He said... They utilized their worn-out sacks. The Bible said they had loaded their donkeys with worn-out baggage. Think of worn-out sacks as old, dead, dry, worn-out religion full of lifeless prayers and old rituals that you've been trying to keep year after year because you thought there was power in them. But our dead works have not brought increase. They have only added to our misery. So that's the first deception, right? And remember... This is a guy that just won a bunch of battles and it was the very people he said don't make a treaty with. And how did they hoodwink him? They hoodwinked him by playing on his sympathy. What does that look like in today's world? Rescuing. That's what that looks like. We're deceived by the... Um, storyline, the narrative that someone gives us about their sad sob story, and we let them enter our lives, and we let them do things in our lives, and come into our house, and what do they do? They bring about deception. All hell breaks loose. And man, it takes a long time, right? It takes a long time. Aubrey just used to let every little dog come home to her house. It takes a long time to wash that all out, because it's a mindset. And it says, the greatest protection from deception is what? She just talked about it tonight. Humility. The greatest protection from deception is humility. Roll that over, over and over. The greatest protection from deception is humility. What is humility? I wrote about it today. You can't be on independent island. You can't be unaccountable. If you are not accountable, you will be deceived. You just got to shake it out the way it is. You will be deceived. And then you will build a whole army. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. I sit down with somebody in counseling. They have built a whole repertoire of information to prove to me that they're doing right. That's why that we've got to have a standard. And the standard is what God says. The standard is Jesus. He says, when we trust God and refuse to lean upon our own ideas, opinions, and understanding, then grace becomes a protective shield around our heart. This is what he said. God wants to bring the piercing light of truth to the human soul, not merely the intellect. The door To truth is the Spirit within you yielded to God. Remember your soul and spirit, right? Body, soul, and spirit, right? When we align, in the month of alignment, when we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, then our hearts become a door to true understanding. See, that's the thing about whenever we listen to every wind of doctrine. I think he talks about it in... He says that... First, Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Even Satan trans- transforms himself as an angel of light. He said this passage talks about the pseudo apostles and teachers with spiritual powers masquerading as God's servants. The entire books of uh, Peter, Second Peter, and Jude are to warn us about deception of deceiving spirits. He said, John, the pastor of love tells us quite firmly to beware of the spirit of Antichrist that is already sent to the world. According to John, for 2,000 years, the Antichrist spirit has been working hard at pulling people into darkness. It's nothing new. Into darkness, deception, and secular humanism and all the isms of worldly philosophies. However, if our hearts are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we are deceived, every one of us. And so these doorways of deception are listed. Number two was they had the old wineskin. He says the old wineskin represents the old heart that is legalistic and brittle. Have you ever seen somebody, God tried to bless somebody with that old wineskin? They're like, oh no, oh no, I don't deserve, oh no, right? Right? right it's not flexible it doesn't bend it's an unteachable heart unable to learn something new i wrote about it today about what johnny enlow said let me requote it he said that those with an unteachable heart will think that any level of instruction is controlling or abusive now, isn't that crazy? How many have been there? It's so crazy that we get to a place where the 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 message of instruction has to come in a certain language, has to come in a certain way to me. I can tell you if you're going to have breakthrough, you're gonna to have to give up that it's gotta come in a perfect package. You're not perfect. You're not even listening perfect. I can't tell you how many times I sit down with someone, pour my heart out of them, record it and send it to me, to them, and they misquote me. I love Aaron. He's like, This is what he said to me last night. I can tell when I'm talking to somebody if they got what you said or if they just created their own definition of what you said. How does he know that? How does he know that? How does he know that? C.C. says the same thing. I can tell somebody's not quite getting what you're talking about. Why? Because they hear it through a de- ears that are deceived. But, you know, he didn't walk into the room thinking I hung the moon. It's a joke. between it, Listen, it takes time. You've got to hear the spirit be- behind what God's doing. And see, that's why the Holy Spirit speaks the same thing. He said, throwing out the old wineskins of legalism doesn't mean walking in compromise. It means walking in real love. God wants to put something new in you, but dry, dead religion can't hold the new. That's right. That's right. That's so Come on, can you admit whether you have dead, old, dry religion? And somebody giving you this refreshing new covenant message, it's like, no, I don't need that. That's just ridiculous. Too much. It's too much hype. Y'all are too passionate. Y'all are too wild. Why are you screaming in worship? We should just be sitting there piously and just acting like this is our worship. Please give me a break. That is nothing in the word. Nothing. I mean, Tessa just sent me a word during worship about David dancing in his underwear because he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. Because that's a true heart that really wants to worship God, not checking to see anyone who cares if my hands are raised. You know, come on, it's time for us to wake up to what God said is required, what God said that He wants to do, because we're not going to walk in the prophetic as long as we're holding back our worship, we're holding back our surrender, we're holding back our yieldedness, because it can't flow, it'll stop the flow. He said, your heart is the wineskin. Yes. The third form of deception was the worn out patch sandals. This represents the old walk and walking in old things. No life change, no transformation. Listen, last night, Cece had this dream and it's it was such an impactful dream. She went to bed, I, I am, we are starting in September, a leadership co-op, we are going to be establishing mentorship for those who, you know, want to do some exponential growth. And so i was been talking to them about it, and I just had some questions I needed answered from the Holy Spirit. She said, I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give me a dream to give you an answer about the leadership co-op. I was like, super duper, I like it. So this is what she dreamed. She dreamed that there was a little boy, and he goes here. And he was putting hair on his leg from his dad that he had cut off his dad. And she saw this, and the man that the little boy had cut the hair off, she had gotten some of the man's hair, one strand of the man's hair, and she had uh, two strands that she had grown as a beard, and she was she was weaving. See if you can hear in the spirit. She is weaving. (laughs) Sorry. She was weaving his strand of hair, because he's a young dad, into her beard. Now what does the beard represent in dreams? Maturity. What does a three-strand cord mean? There's a scripture on it. There's a three-strand cord not easily broken. And so that dream was so impactful to me, it gave me all the answers I needed for the leadership call, but think about that dream for a minute. It's saying that there are children wanting to emulate. emulate. That's this generation is looking for moms and dads. That's why this is a pioneering place. Looking for moms and dads that don't know nothing, but are willing to yield to leadership, willing to yield to the Holy Spirit, willing to come underneath and be trained to pioneer what this generation needs. And that intertwining of of in the wisdom, think about for a minute, think about what, she's wrote this crazy word she's going to read to us. Just, if you hear this word tonight and that speaks to you that's what she's doing she is taking her two strands of maturity and she's inviting you to intertwine and make a three-strand cord how many of y'all have been completely changed by the words that she has written you know she's written over a thousand words think about it i mean i feel like she's going to be somebody like c.s lewis when she's dead and gone people are going to be going did y'all see this I really do. God spoke to me about her years ago. But anyway, we're not talking about that right now. So think about it. As you're hearing words of life from the Father's heart, they are it's an invitation to pull you into the promised land, to pull you in so that the giants are bred to you. They're a sandwich. They're a stinking sandwich. And we're acting like they are the dictator of what I'm going to do, what I'm going to change. See, when I enter into the promised land, God may ask me to do things that are crazy. Like march around some walls for seven days. And then seven times the last day. Where is that in the spiritual warfare manual? Listen, the goal of going into the promised land is to never go back to Egypt. Did you know the people that were got to the Promised Land? They never talked about Egypt anymore. The people out in the wilderness—what they do all the time? Well, maybe we should go back. I mean, I don't know. We just calf just came out. I don't even know where this calf came from. Why they were entertaining? Was it better back there? Well, remember those people we saw those people and they liked us. And remember those people? Well, remember when they did that for us? Remember right? I felt pretty good back then. Well, yeah, of course there was some good stuff back there, but that was Egypt. Yeah. And so if you're going to go into the promised land, you've got to deal with the deception that's out there from the enemy. You've got to deal with what's in your own heart that the door is open. So I'm going to let Cece come and share with us. I think the mic's down there. No, it's not. Um, Share with us her word. And then she has this awesome thing about another giant. And see, I stopped early. I didn't even get to my other three things. Left them with a cliffhanger. Just a wet
1: their whistle for next time. Okay, so we're, we have a, I have a lot to cover, to try to cover. We'll see what happens tonight. So um, as Tisa mentioned, I I had this I've been having this interesting experience. You know, I think that's probably a redundant statement because everything on the journey with God and the prophetic and the supernatural is just interesting. It never actually gets redundant because it's something new all the time. So, but I can't help but say that, you know. So, I've been I've been kind of feeling um this battle going on, but I kind of felt like all the personal stuff I was kind of like all right, deal with that, handle that, like that's good, but then just something else would come and something else would come and there was just this intensity going on and that as a feeler, I just I tend to feel things that are happening in the spirit realm, things that are going on. So, I finally got to the point the other day where I was just on the edge and I smashed my finger and just about lost it because I had nothing left like that. I was so tensed up from all this stuff I've been feeling. And so Tisa finally gave me some wisdom and said, you know, if you're at this stage, you should really be sitting down (laughs) to talk to Papa and see what he has to say. So I was like, oh, right. okay, good. (laughs) So I went to sit down and he started talking before I even sat down. I, I was like, I just agreed to go do it. And I literally, he started talking. I was like, wait a minute, I don't have my computer yet. So I was, I got down, and I got my computer and I started writing. And, you know, most of the time I would say for me, I often start by talking to him. I write to him and then he responds. This time it happened in reverse. So I'm going to read the word. It is a little bit intense at times. And then I'm going to break it down a little bit and share my insight on it and something else he told me that, that goes along with it. So the word starts out, Papa's talking, and he says, What happens when the cries of God's people reach the ears of the sovereign? What happens when their hearts are driven with an unstoppable force that cannot be denied, that will not be overpowered by sounds of the world, no matter how enticing? Will worlds crumble when they give way to their heart's true cry?" Will mountains move when their roar is released? Will the kingdom of God be seen when God's children speak with this unity? Not just amongst each other, but a unity within. When unity within is allowed to flourish, the God-man will finally take his stand. When unity within, that's us being unified with him within us, is allowed to flourish the godman will finally take his stand he said i'm stirring in the hearts of man stirring in a way that in a way that allows the truth to rise and be seen within what rubble is this they may say what soiled linen have i found within what breach of purity has surfaced with this stirring oh yes My stirring is not only of hope and courage rising. My stirring reveals what truly lies within. A deep sediment rises from its place of settling, and the sour taste of its reality rises to the surface. Yes, this day of cleansing, of purity rising, means you will encounter the foul taste of your poisoning. I have drawn a line in the sands of time. I have sounded my gavel to announce the end of tolerance for what blemishes the pureness of life. I am purging this planet of evil, cleansing the timeline for the building of my kingdom. But the power of choice remains and will be protected for all mankind. Will you choose to swallow? the poison rising from the inside, or spit it from your mouth once and for all. You are not under attack in some brand new way. The war against your soul has been raging all along. The angst you feel is the process of exposing. My light is shining on what poisons your being. It's an opportunity to expel the darkness from its entrance. Yes, a war is raging, but the time has come for me to lead you to victory. I expose, and then you choose what stays or goes. I am calling my children to rise in this light. I am calling my children to speak up for what is right The stand you take reaches farther than you think. Remember, the battle is not against flesh and blood. My spirit warriors are waiting to hear your choice. What you choose in the quiet place resounds through the heavens. Armies are released at the sound of your choosing. Who will stand? Who will speak? They will be the ones to watch the giants fall. They will be the ones causing kingdoms to turn. It is their authority on this earth that will crush evil underfoot. This battle takes place within the hearts of man. So why the surprise when you find a war within? Your first battle cry takes place within. I expose, you say what stays or goes. A resilient warrior is grown with right choices over their soul. So do not cower in your present battle. Do not dismiss its relevance. My kingdom advances on the foundation I'm building in the hearts of man. All of heaven is waiting to hear of your choosing. Warring angels are prepared for battle Will they hear a cry for kingdom truth? Will they see hearts standing for innocence? Will they see a body willing to be broken to protect and establish my truth? And so I responded with Papa, my heart has felt the assault on your truth. I have tasted the poison, its foul attempt to build on bitterness This poison speaks of insignificance, as if the pain and disappointment are all for naught. It says that my present suffering is proof of an enemy victory. But I hear you painting a different picture. I see you shining a new light. You're saying that my one voice and my one choice releases a war cry in the heavens. You're saying that my battle is not proof of my defeat or of missing the mark of victory, but instead it's evidence of my effectiveness. You're saying that I have qualified, not been dismissed. You're saying that I have stepped onto the battlefield, proven worthy of the status of heavenly warrior. You're saying that a childlike heart is a giant in the spirit. The lies and accusations, the condemning thoughts are not signs of my weakness. No, they are evidence of the threat that I pose in the spirit. An enemy only wars against those who stand against it. That means that my voice has been heard and my choice has resounded, landing with insult and injury on a shrinking enemy. Each warring thought In the battlefield of my mind is an opportunity to assault him and push him back farther. I see you now, Papa, holding him by his scrawny neck, captured and clearly overpowered. You place him before me so that I can be the one to release the next blow, so that I can be the one to shout of his defeat. What an insult it must be. For a child to release the final blow. What a message it must send. What power is displayed when God's children are the ones who have the final say. Yes. That's us. That's us, right? That's us. It's our one voice. It's our choice. It's our choice. It's our one voice. Such an incredible, incredible word, and what it did in my spirit. I I have tried very hard to have words for, Um, but and there's I want to try to break it down a little bit. I think I was telling Tisa that sometimes I think that the Holy Spirit speaks through me this way, and God tells me things that are in an unusual sort of way to paint the picture of kingdom truths and realities about spiritual warfare and this life in the spirit that are different because I didn't grow up in the church and I haven't been trained in all these ways. I don't know all the Christian terminology and all of that. And so it's because this speaks to people who are there's a there's a generation that is just ready to hear with childlike hearing and and believe with childlike hearts without it having to be validated and backed up by what's in a book or what's in, you know, some certificate or something. And so I think that uh, some of of what I have gathered in this is that there is, when we are in a battle, first of all, it is a misconception that if you're a Christian, you are just going to feel good all the time. That's just a bold-faced lie. And so you're actually going to have a lot of things going on that you're going to encounter, no matter what your personality is, what your spiritual gifts are, whether you're a feeler or a knower, you're meant to encounter things and have an effect on them. So we we hear lots of teaching about that here. So it's not a sign of being weak or or being out of place or being um, in the wrong somehow or missing it just because you're experiencing some warfare. It's what this word is saying is that you're actually in a position to do harm against the enemy. You're actually in a warring position if you're feeling these things. And so, yes, there is a reality that we have our own soul to deal with and to train, and we may have stuff that's just in our soul that we have to deal with. Like she said today, there are giants in the land that we've been deceived you know, another reality about being a Christian and a human being on earth right now is that this is, you know, what they call a fallen world. And so we have been raised in a culture that I, I've been on this thing lately, of this analogy of cooking. You know, if you cook with certain things that puts off different scents in the air and you absorb them. And so, you know, you leave a restaurant and you're like, wow, my hair smells like fajitas. You know, if you hang out in an environment long enough, you begin to you kind of absorb some stuff. It's not by choice. You just if you're in an environment, and so we have to recognize that we have been raised in a world that has is corrupt, a world that has been under the influence of the enemy for a long time. This is the beginning of the kingdom age, and the enemy's been reigning and ruling. And so we don't need to be surprised or caught off guard that there are, there's that sediment that he said in that word. He's stirring that up so that sediment that's just been low lying in there influencing you. That you don't even know is there so that it comes up and you can say oh that i don't like the taste of that and and that that line i love that line that he said about will you choose to just swallow that poison rising up again or will you spit it out from your mouth once and for all yeah. and so i like to think that whether it is your own soul or whether it is you know that sediment something coming up personally that you're experiencing or whether you're picking up on something in the atmosphere, it doesn't even matter that much because what he's saying is you have an opportunity right there to be a warring child of God and to operate with a childlike heart of faith and belief. And that makes you a giant in the spirit. And so whether, no matter what's coming up, you have an opportunity right there. And what um, I have discovered for myself personally is that there I will I've known, I've been taught a lot of this truth in the past 10 years. I've been taught that I have authority, but like Tisa said, I don't use it as much as I could. Not nearly as much as I could. And so I will go, I'll be in torment for a couple of days before I finally remember. Or And because we are, we've become accustomed to letting that sediment just lay there within us. We've, be, like to, we've become accustomed to the treaties we made with darkness. That was so well said. I love I love the way that that was said. And so we have to recognize that it's an opportunity to actually to do something. And one of the ways that the enemy gets me down is that I think that we can have this mentality that I've got to feel strong to be effective for him. You know, I've got to feel like I'm I'm on my game. I'm really doing good right now. I feel powerful. I'm on top of it. We got to feel like we've already conquered before we can conquer That's just another misconception. And so I think a lot of times I, the enemy, that language that comes is like, well, look, you can't even do this. You can't even, you can't even stay up, you know, and not be underneath this thing. And so you're just failing, you're failing and you're missing it. And so that may, that chips away at my drive to stand up and say, Hey, get out fear, get out in the name of Jesus, get out. And instead, I accept that language. I accept that belief that I must be flawed in some way or have missed it in some way. Or, you know, I should have caught this earlier. Otherwise, I wouldn't be feeling this. All, those, all that language, you know. And, and so the, it, he tends to make us believe that we are insignificant in the moment. And then he just keeps on going and says, well, you're never going to be significant. In fact, you're just spinning your wheels and you're never actually going to do anything for God. And it just keeps, you know, burying you, pushing you down, down, down. And so the incredible thing about this word, one of the things it did for me is that it made me recognize that there's just a spiritual reality that if I'm in my room at home, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm battling with something, that my choice in that moment to get up and speak to that thing and tell it to go has a much bigger impact than I knew. That... There are angel armies, what he showed me, standing there waiting to see if I will choose to declare my authority. Let's just say it's a fear that there's an entire angel armies that says if that girl chooses right now that say I will that I take that she will take a stand for truth. If she will speak truth in this moment, we will go to war against fear. And it's not just over me. Like, so what he was showing me, it's not just, I mean, picture, we can experience persecution or oppression or depression or whatever those fear, but there are people out there who are experiencing it way on a way bigger scale. And we don't have to wait to go meet those people face to face before we can go to war for them on behalf of God's truth is what he's showing me. So if just little old me in my room gets up in the middle of the night and says, I will not tolerate being, I will not tolerate this, and I and we speak that truth and we say it in Jesus' name, it doesn't even have to sound super powerful. It's about our choice to say, I believe what God says. In this moment, I believe what God says. And that gives an entire army of warring angels the authority and the right to go to war on behalf of this planet of God's kingdom being built. I mean, picture that. That changes it. That's what this word says to me is that, oh, this isn't a sign of my insignificance. This is a sign of I'm qualified to send armies to go war on behalf of God's coming kingdom on this earth. So it changes the whole narrative. So instead of going down that path of, you know, the next day waking up feeling like, yep, I missed that. I'm still underneath that. You know, I'm still, I didn't war well. I'm certainly not going to be able to do the next thing well. And then that builds and builds until we're afraid we're going to miss what we're called to do or we're going to do it so poorly. We can do it right, right there, and have a huge impact in God's kingdom in that way. And so that is a major game changer for me, a major game changer. And so let me see if there's, I'm going to scan this uh, again. So my one voice, my one choice releases a war cry in the heavens. That's what we've got to remember. Our moments, our wars are not insignificant in the kingdom, in the spirit realm. They are not insignificant. We have a huge opportunity in those moments. So we shouldn't be passive in our, um, in our battle. How did he say it here? Don't dismiss its relevance. Do not dismiss its relevance. You may think you're just hung up on something somebody said to you and you feel stupid that it bothers you. Right. And so you may not even battle it because you feel bad that you even felt it and you feel ashamed that you feel jealous or, or guilty or shame or whatever, you know. But no, that's a moment where there's there's a whole the spirit of shame, the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of guilt is swarming over this planet trying to have a hold and we have an opportunity when we feel that to kick it in its teeth right right? you have an opportunity right there It's, it's so huge so don't dismiss the relevance of your battle no matter how small or insignificant it may seem and do not cower in your battle for that same reason don't cower in your battle there, this is a time where there's so much going on in the world where we do want to stand for innocence. We do want, you know, like this movie, The uh, Sound of Freedom. There's so much going on with human trafficking and so many atrocities being revealed in the world. And we are we can tend to think, am I even making a difference on that? Because you have my heart, God, you have my yes, God. I believe in what you're saying. I want these people to be free. But we can tend to think, well, I've got to be able to go on a missions trip in order to reach those people or to make an impact. And this word is saying we can make an impact on the evil that is being exposed in the world right now in, in our own rooms, no matter where you are, at work, in your car, wherever, with your choice, your power, your choice to say, I believe and will stand for truth, sends an entire warring war army of angels out. I mean, just think about that. It's so, so amazing. And so this childlike heart, I wanted to, um, I asked the Holy Spirit what else I could do to press into this. And he started talking to me about um, another story of giants in the Bible about David and Goliath. So you guys probably all know this basic story, at least, right, of of David and Goliath. And so David was the youngest son of Jesse, and he didn't, he wasn't in the war. Um, Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul into battle, and so the Philistines and the Israelites were um, at opposite sides of the valley and they're poised to go to war. And Goliath um, comes out and he's this enormous, he's, he's literally a giant. It says he was over nine feet tall in the natural. And so he comes out and he poses this big threat and says basically that rather than all of us go into battle on this field, pick a man to come out and fight me. And agree with me that if you lose, you will serve us forever. But if we lose, we'll serve you forever, you know. And so that was the that was the option for battle at that point. And so for 40 days, Goliath had been coming out and shouting this threat and talking about how big and bad he was and how he was going to stomp on God's people. 40 days. 40 days that the Israelites... Heard that threat, and they were just chicken, right? They were scared to death at this giant man, and so for forty days, the biggest army sat there and did nothing in the face of that. but then David, the youngest of Jesse's children, comes up just he comes onto the battle scene right to give them some food and check on how things are going, and so he hears he hears what Goliath is saying, and so I'm going to read just a little bit of scripture. This is in 1 Samuel 17 to show you what, um, what the Holy Spirit showed me. So as David talked with his brothers at the front line there on this, with other soldiers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, emerged again and shouted his challenge to the men of Israel. This time, young David heard his words. We're reading in the voice translation. It's a nice one to see this illustration. When they saw Goliath, all the Israelites were frightened and retreated from him. Again, for 40 days they've been doing this. The soldiers then said, Have you seen this man who steps forward? He's trying to taunt Israel. Our king will reward the man who kills him with wealth, a royal marriage, and freedom for his entire family from taxation and obligations to Israel. That's that's their response, right? So David... Is like, what? What did you say? What is the reward for removing this insult from Israel by killing this man? So they just said it, right? It's in scripture a certain way. So they just said what the reward was. And then David said, what's the reward? And then he says, no uncircumcised Philistine can get away with taunting the armies of the living God. So the soldiers reply, you've heard what will be given to the man who kills him. We were just talking about it. So then David's oldest brother gets angry and overhears this and becomes angry with David. And is like, why have you come down here? Why? Aren't, who's watching your flock? You know, I'm your brother. I know what you're just arrogant and your heart is evil, blah, blah, blah. Basically, you know, um, condemns him. And David's like, what have I done now? I was just asking a question. And so it says David ignored him and asked another soldier the same question. So he asked the question again, what did you say the reward was? You're going to get to marry one of the king's daughters. You're going to get great wealth and you're going to be free. You and your entire family will never have to pay taxes again. So he asked again. And the people gave him the same answer. So then at this point, basically, Saul calls for David and because he hears what David's saying and Saul calls him and and brings him up and Saul, David tells him, hey, you know, This isn't right. There's no reason for all of your men to be afraid. And hey, you know what? I've, you know, killed a lion and a bear and God will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine too, because he has dared to taunt the armies of the living God. So put that, put yourself in that position when you're wake woken up in the middle of the night or you're at work or wherever, and you're being taunted by the enemy. Put yourself in that, in that line right there. The enemy is actually taunting the armies of the living God when he's taunting you. The, the enemy is taunting the armies of the living God when you are in a struggle. He's taunting the armies of the living God. So Saul, you know, the rest of the story, Saul and agrees and they, you know, they do the whole thing with the the um, the armor And then David goes out to confront Goliath. And he says, you come to me carrying a sword and a spear and a javelin as your weapons. But I come armed with the name of the eternal one, the commander of heavenly armies, the true God of the armies of Israel, the one you have insulted. I mean, I just think we should print this out and have it ready. Carry it in your purse, in your back pocket. I mean, just start right here. We should just start with this declaration, right? you have insulted this very day the eternal one will give you into my hands i will strike you down and cut off your head and i will feed the birds of the air and the wild animals of the fields with the flesh of your philistine warriors then all the land will know the true god is with israel then all the land will know the true god is with christy when all the land will know the true god is with cheryl okay put yourself in the in the story and all of those gathered here will know that the eternal one does not save by sword and spear. The battle is the eternal ones, and he will give you into our hands. So what is the Holy Spirit highlighting on this in this particular part? He kept making me wonder about why did David keep asking what's the reward? Why did he keep asking that? I mean, the scripture goes in an order for a certain reason, and and it said right up front what the reward was, what what the guy who killed him was going to get. So why did David keep talking about it? Why did they record that? Why is it recorded that way? And so I've been asking the Holy Spirit about it for the last two days or so, and I finally got it today. And I felt like he was talking about the difference between being motivated out of your own personal gain and knowing that you are a part of the armies of the living God is that there's something about our human nature that even when we know we will get something great, even when we know our family will be totally restored, that our marriage will be healed, that our children will grow up and serve God, even when we know all of these incredible benefits, it's somehow oftentimes not enough to make us change, to make the right choice. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about these, all these men for 40 days they were probably poverty stricken they were not rich people they were their families were burdened they could have at least gone and risked it you know at least say well I'll give it a try and gone out and to get to have the chance of marrying one of Saul the king's daughters and getting all this wealth and being free from taxation for their entire family so why didn't they why wasn't that enough to fuel their courage to go and take this step for God. And so to me, I relate this to back to this word where in my room at night, if I'm in a struggle and I'm just thinking about me and I'm just thinking about even just how much shame I have for the fact that I'm in a struggle, for even though I'm thinking things like, you know, I shouldn't be even struggling with this or I'm just thinking about even myself and, sometimes isn't enough to know that I have authority over the enemy in that moment just to make me feel better. That's just the reality of it. There's no reason why for 10 years I have known that I had authority. Even before I came here, I knew I could rebuke things in Jesus's name. I didn't know how that worked, but I'd heard of it and I've known about it for a long time, but I've still gone day after day, week after week with under getting under things without using that authority because there's something about it only being about personal gain that does not motivate us. But when you have a childlike heart and your mind is captivated with God's narrative and who God is and what God is saying and what God is doing, then it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your personal gain is. That's I think I don't know exactly why David kept asking that question, but I think it was sort of I think he may have been going around like, are you telling me this is your reward and none of you are responding in this moment? None of you are responding this moment. And it doesn't record that David said, well, I'm going to get me a wife. I'm going to get my wealth. He doesn't say that. He just says, you're insulting the armies of the living God. And that ought not be. And I know God will deliver me. Because, see, I think that if you're motivated by what you will gain yourself, you're probably thinking that your greatest strength is your own also. If you think that, because all those those three older brothers followed Saul. Saul thought that his armor would protect David. Saul thought that his own identity as a warrior and his personal strength was all he had to bring to the battle. And so did the three older brothers. That was their training. That was the culture they live in, and it wasn't enough. They just sat there and looked and listened to the threat for 40 days. But this kid comes along, kid representing the childlike heart of just simply believing and trusting that what God says is true and what God wants to do will happen, and that you are a part of the the warring angels' army in heaven. That is what motivates us in the middle of the night, in the middle of our battle. And so I think that was that was incredibly motivating it in into making this a practical word to practice using our voice and our choice in the moment. We do not battle against flesh and blood, we battle against spirits. Spirits are not limited to your one little bedroom or your one little home or your one little place of work. Spirits are on the move in the world, and we have the authority to say no and give the warring army angels of heaven, the authority and the green light to go and begin defeating fear all over the globe, defeating that thing all over the globe. So Papa, we just want to say thank you for this word. Thank you for the way that you teach us. Thank you that you teach us like little children who are just eager and hungry and that we don't have to have it all figured out. You tell us just what we need to know. You tell us it in a way that motivates us, that reaches into our hearts and pulls that trigger and motivates that courage to rise up within us. And so we will be the people. We will be the Joshua generation who says those giants are nothing but bread to us and that it's my childlike heart is that is the bigger giant in the spirit realm. They may look big in the natural, but I'm a giant in the spirit because I believe you, God, and I will stay as simply devoted to you as a child trusting in you. So we say yes to you tonight, Papa. We say yes to you, Holy Spirit. We say yes to you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you, warrior team. You are the original warrior team who wars for us so that we can war with you. So we thank you. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would that you would seal this message up over each heart and mind and soul and spirit uh, that is hearing this message and that you will remind us of what you said right before this word you told us that it's our spirit that needs to be in the lead it's our spirit that has total confidence in you it's our spirit that can hear every word you say and every truth about you perfectly so we will choose with our to tell our soul to take the back seat and follow and listen to our spirit because our spirit knows just how powerful you are. And it's when our spirit leads that we can be that childlike heart that is a giant in the spirit. So Holy spirit, I pray that you would make this a personal word that you would incorporate this into each person's heart and mind in their personal life, wherever they are. And that you would make this just deeply personal. Thank you, God, that you have told us in this house that your kingdom advances in us One person at a time is how the kingdom of God advances on this planet. And so it's our one heart, it's our one voice that makes a difference. So make it personal, God. We make it personal. We ask you to make it personal so that your kingdom can advance on this earth right now. So we pray that we love you, we love you, we love you. We just can't say say it enough. We love you, Papa. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. It's in your mighty, mighty name that we pray.